Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to Abdullah Varachia about how to break disruption down beyond the noise. Abdullah Varachia is the CEO of The Strategists, where he assists companies and organizations to craft competitive future strategies. He's also senior faculty at Gibbs, the Gordon Institute of Business Science, the program director of the Harvard Senior Executive Program for Africa at Gibbs, and co-founder of DigiCars, a disruptor in the motor industry. And as they say in the infomercials, that's not all. Yesterday, he added that he's currently doing the Harvard General Management Program and also his PhD in the area of strategy and dynamic capabilities, to which I responded in my WhatsApp message, good grief, and remind me you are married with two children and what are their ages? And he responded, ha ha ha, three kids, eight, six, and four. Now I've known Abdullah since I think he only had uh, two children who were very, very young. So now it's three. And I then commented crazy man, to which he said, it's amazing how flexibility allows you to do so much. You know this, Nikki. <laughs> so welcome Abdullah. It's fabulous to have you on the show. Thanks, Nikki. It's an absolute pleasure to always spend time with you and to be part of this podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation together. Fantastic. So uh, the year 2020 can be classified as the most disruptive in the last 50 years. And uh, there are so many things I'd like to chat to you about. And perhaps maybe let's kick off with what do you mean by breaking disruption down beyond the noise? Oh, I think it's a fascinating question. And, you know, I often say that we and many parts of the world have become so enamored by the daily, daily headlines in the newspaper or what we read about or what we see on the television that we don't really get the opportunity to step away from the day-to-day -day noise and understand the macro picture. What are some of the big trends that are shifting uh, the global economy, that are shifting in terms of industries, but also shifting the way in which we live and the way we connect to each other and the way in which we relate to one another. And so for me, a big component is to be able to demystify this concept of disruption. One, because many people often misunderstand disruption as technology change. Yes, technology is a subset, an element, an enabler in terms of some of the changes that we see. But the reality is that the world that we're living in is going through a significant amount of this overused word called VUCA, a world of volatility, um, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And interestingly, when I was doing research for my book, I figured that this word was actually started by the US military to give an explanation in terms of some of the worlds that they find themselves in, in terms of volatility and uncertainty. And so I think it's important for us to be able to look beyond the noise of disruption and understand what are the elements that come to the, come to the fore. I think the first, and maybe let's look at the last 10 to 15 years, and then we'll get to COVID. The first is, if you look, to, look at the last 10 to 15 years, and I'm sure in your daily life as a listener on this podcast, you probably as an individual or somebody in your family or somebody in your circle of friends or community, uh, you would know people who have become a lot more accustomed to international travel. And the question is why? It's because the cost of international has, travel has come down and the interconnectedness of countries have come much more closer together. The best way to be able to explain this is how 
a virus that at one stage was in a province, Wuhan, that we're all now familiar with in China, all of a sudden in a short space of four to six weeks became a global crisis because of the network effects, because we're so interconnected. So one of the causal factors is if 60 years ago you needed to travel from South Africa to London, you had a limited number of options and the cost of international air travel was expensive and prohibitive and out of the reach of most people. Today, it's available for most individuals and the world has become so much more interconnected. A second is the advent of the internet and the accelerated access to information for most people around the world. So if you think back to the 90s and you had a chat function, we'd be using something called Microsoft or I think it was Merck back in the day. And your connectivity was limited to be able to connect on that very old arcade GPRS system. Today, we all have become accustomed to WhatsApp as a primary means of communication. In fact, WhatsApp has a deeper impact than communication. If I open somebody's WhatsApp and they get two blue ticks and I don't reply, they get emotional and feelings, all of these things, right? But we're starting to realize that the world has opened up and democratized information. Previously, if you needed information to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, if your parents had the affordability to have it. Today, at the touch of a button, my four-year-old boy is able to ask Siri for information that he or she wants, and it's almost instantaneous. And he's actually taught me how to use elements of Siri. So the second is the accelerated digitization of the world. The third, which is particularly important, is the fact that we're starting to see much more interrelationships between countries. What I mean by that is an increase in terms of trade and investment. And that means that we all of a sudden have access to the same type of products and goods and services. And one of the examples I give to explain this is when Apple launches a new product, almost instantaneous, instantaneously in various countries around the world, they have a global launch and it becomes available. So go back to the 90s. Back in the day, if you needed to get a product, you'd have to travel to London and you'd come back with all of the goodies in your bag and you'd show it to your family. And now it's, we get it everywhere, right? So that's the third, is the easy access to goods and services. The fourth for me in terms of disruption, and I'm going to come to COVID now, is the increased level of competition. So back to the 90s again, and I was very young at the time, Nikki, but I'll share some of what I remember. If you had to go for dinner in the 90s, you'd be able to go to the Wumpy, the Spur, or the Mike's Kitchen. Today, if you have to go for dinner, uh, you actually don't go for dinner. You order it on your Uber Eats app, and you're actually very lazy to get off your couch to go to the front door to actually go and get it. Because there's increased competition, there are thousands of restaurants available to you and consumers are spoiled for choice. And that's had a, a cognitive impact in terms of competitiveness. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, I think, is the fact that before the dogma in education was that you study until the age of 23, 24, 25, and then you work for the rest of your life. Today, and your introduction was particularly interesting because I took a decision to do a, the Harvard GMP because I love lifelong learning. I think the world we're in changes and evolves so quickly and so rapidly that we've got to be learning all the time, formally and informally. And what I love about the world that we find ourselves in is that learning doesn't only happen in formal institutions. Learning happens every day, all the time. So those are some of the big picture shifts. When you bring them together to 2020, which is recent in our mind, COVID has been the mass accelerator. It's been the great experimenter. It's given us the opportunity, not by uh, design, but by default, to be able to try things that we never, ever would have tried uh, before in our lives. And so this has been the acceleration of disruption. 
And some of the macro themes, I'm going to argue, have been accelerated in the last few weeks. Mm, and you know what comes to mind as you're speaking uh, is that, as you said, COVID has allowed us to experiment. And the IT industry is iterative. They send product to market before it's perfect and they get the market to give them feedback and then they tweak the product to what the market wants. Now, in other daily processes and business processes, we weren't so keen to go to market before it was perfect. And look at what COVID's done. Education has gone online to market before it was perfect. Uh, and many companies have had to really take on that experimental hat during COVID, which they were not keen to do prior to COVID. And as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. And it's almost as if COVID had a green flag saying, you know, go, do it, try it, just do it, like the Nike ad says, because we have no option. We now have to try things in order to survive the onslaught that we're facing and to reinvent how business is done and how life is done under very different circumstances. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating point you make and uh, exactly what we see in terms of the IT sector. Previously, uh, we spoke quite extensively about reactive leadership. It's the ability to lead organizations through certainty. We wouldn't put a product out there until we had done uh, numerous amount of testing. We were sure in our minds that it was perfect. And in the last 10, 15 years, the IT ICT industry led by companies in Silicon Valley have really taught us that we need to beat a test as, as Google talk, uh, talks about it. We need to bring our users along and test our products with them. And COVID has been this massive test. So in the last couple of months, I've had so many different companies around the world saying to me, Abdullah, when are we going back to the new normal? And I laugh and I say, that term in itself is a misnomer because where we came from was never normal to start with. It was never normal to be able to have billions of people all going on the road at the same time every day, gridlocking traffic for an hour and a half, two hours, where billions of people go to school or go to work hungry, tired, frustrated, really unproductive. And then strangely, as human beings, to repeat that process every afternoon to come together. And so in this case here, this experiment, COVID has taught me that you actually perform, Nikki, much better in a decent yet comfortable set of clothing. Uh, it's taught me that we spend a huge amount of time killing productivity and actually efficiency and in the process happiness. Uh, and think about things like the amount of time you spend in cars and the amount of time you spend in traffic. And so as a business world and as the world we live in, we focus a huge amount at business schools, at institutions, and even as companies on what I call return on assets or return on capital or return on uh, equity. But we never really focus on the most important currency, which is the return on time. We all have a finite amount of time, and we never really get the opportunity to be able to look at how do we become much more productive and get that return on time. And for me, COVID has been a great experiment in terms of looking at how do we become much more productive? And yes, there have been some challenges. We've moved from a world where we used to have, on average, four to five meetings a day, to now having some companies 12 meetings where people are jumping off a Zoom call onto a Teams call and onto a Zoom call. And I think we've got to get some of the balance. But what it has opened up is the spotlight of productivity. And personally, I've really experienced this. I've had the opportunity to be able to do things I would never be able to do. So you opened up talking about my three kids. And so in 2012, when I had my first daughter, Farima Zahra, I took a decision that I'm not going to do more 
than 12 international trips a year. So in my consulting work, I get a lot of requests to do work in other countries around the world. And by March, my 12 trips are often fully diarized. And so I then turn down almost all of the work that comes after that because of this life decision, which I've never regretted to spend more time at home. And in the last 12 months, I've had so many companies saying to me, we don't really need you in front of us. We actually need more of your expertise. And so please feel free to do some strategy and innovation work with us virtually. And it's worked and my business has gone the other way in terms of international work. Why? Because we've had to experiment with another way of doing things. In your world, in my world, Nikki, we often engage with companies. And so I often say a few weeks ago, I was asked to do a talk for a very large company out in Cape Town. Traditionally, that would have meant me waking up very early in the morning, putting on a certain type of clothing, getting onto the airplane, going across to Cape Town, going through a process of getting to the company, setting up this presentation, presenting it. I got the same request from the company that I did this two years ago, a few weeks ago. And on the same day, I could do two other keynote talks because it meant me getting in front of a computer. So people then must understand this and say, well, Abdullah, is it all about digital? And I say, no, what COVID has actually taught us in this experiment is that the human moments matter most. This is where, where the magic sits, right? Uh, the chats at the office coffee machine, the bumping into somebody at reception, the chance meeting in a corridor, the connection with each other. But I don't think we must look at, look at it in a binary way. Is it either physical or digital? I think we must imagine something different. We must imagine a hybrid approach. And I often say that we can do better if we imagine better. And COVID has allowed us to imagine. It's given us a picture of how perhaps the world could look very different. And this is our chance to be a lot more adaptable in terms of, of where we are. So for me, what I hope COVID teaches us after we're able to get the vaccine distributed in various countries around the world, what I hope it teaches us is that where we came from was ne never normal. And so we must use this chance to imagine differently, to think differently, and perhaps to even do differently. You know, you, you say it was never normal before, and I like to say it was never perfect. I think people idealize the world as it was pre-COVID. And I have to remind them that they were always complaining about life before COVID. And you just made the point that you would need to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, get dressed, get on an airplane, go down to Cape Town, give a presentation. We never ever perceived that as disruption. And it was a form of disruption of your time your family, your quality of life, et cetera. Not to say that you wouldn't travel for your clients, but as you said, there could be a better way, a hybrid way. And what I love about, I think, being the age I am, which is just the other side of 50, is that I have a lot of relationships that were formed pre-digital, like my relationship with you. We've met face-to-face. -face. And I think that if one can have the odd face-to-face -face meeting, the rest you can do virtually. Because if you build a level of trust, and it's not that you can't build trust virtually, you can. But I think we are multi-sensory human beings. We get a, a real sense of someone when we're with them in the same space. And if it is possible to have a face-to-face -face with someone, I think that is first prize. But if it isn't, we've worked out that we can still do business. We can still be in business. I mean, people get married having actually met each other online these days. 
it's a proportion of people. Um, so it's, look, I don't know what the stats are of how long you stay together, but even in the real world, those stats are pretty poor. So it can't be much worse than that. But very interesting that I think there's that word assumptions that we yeah. have made us about how, how life should be, how work should be done. And COVID has given that, us that breathing room, that opportunity to step back, to take a breath and go, we want to continue that way. Yeah, I, I think 100%, Vicky. I think you've got it spot on in terms of COVID has given us a chance to be able to reset some of that dogma, some of the ways we've done things. And for me, yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't perfect, but the elements that we want to take in and weave into where we are at the moment and for me, it does come down to this challenge or this provocation for all of us as parents. How do we start to think about ways in which we educate our young children so that we're not reliant only on a formal education system that's often, let me be honest with you, uh, quite rote learning in its orientation. And we haven't really changed the nature. It's the one sector that really hasn't been disrupted is education. We teach young kids in terms of being able to take information and then to get it into themselves. And if they can regurgitate it in June and November, uh, then they do particularly well. And I've got three young kids and all of them think and learn in different ways. Some of them are multi-sensory learners. Uh, my eldest daughter is a romantic out and out. She loves writing poetry about how she learns. And because I'm vested in this, I've taken a keen interest in understanding it. But the reality is with 40 or 30 kids in a class, it's very difficult to be able to start to think about different learning styles, different learning methodologies, ways in which we think and that starts to limit our ability to truly leverage the potential of people in our society. So for me, we've got to think about how we educate uh, as teachers, but also as parents. The second is, how do we run our institutions? Uh, if you are an executive running a company, or the, you're the head of human capital, or you're looking after a certain division, or you're working in an organization, how do you start to enable your team to come back with this culture of ways in which we're going to do work differently? How do we, as you say, create a culture of experimentation and innovation where we're willing to give people the opportunity to try new things, to give another way of looking at the world? And I often say that if the environment changes, so too must the choices that we take as companies. And the reality is that the environment has fundamentally shifted. And I often use this analogy that the canvas in which we're painting on or the or canvas on which we're painting on is very different. And if the canvas is different, then we need at least a new combination of colors to be able to paint on that canvas. And if we have a new canvas and we need a new combination of colors, then without a doubt, we as painters, myself and yourself and all our listeners today need a new set of skills or at least an augmented set of skills to be able to paint on that canvas. And so people often say to me, Abdullah, does that mean that I've got to go and do a course now? And I said, well, maybe that will help you, but it does mean that you must become more curious about the world. You've got to become curious about how things work, uh, how the world operates. I love talking to kids because they see the world through a whole new set of eyes. They're inherently curious. They ask questions all the time and we lose this essence in the world of work. So speak to kids, speak to older people who have lived through three or four generations and understand their view of the world. Uh, go to new places uh, every weekend in Gauteng or South Africa or anywhere in the world that you are from. Uh, drive new routes to work. I mean, we pass the same billboards, pass the same people every day and expect a different set of results. So I think it's about building this curiosity mindset around learning, around thinking, around reflecting, and making that a big component because it's the, it's the thinkers that have been able to move us 
in terms of new companies, new organizations, new education institutions, and new ways of thinking. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's, for me, sacrosanct. The second component is that COVID has also opened the fault lines of the deep inequality in our society. So I've come to realize that there are many, many people in our society, in the country I live in, but many other countries, who were deeply affected by lockdown, even though they were employed. So we're not talking of people who are unemployed, which is a significant challenge already, but people who are employed but dependent on a daily income to feed their family and to sustain themselves. And the moment you close down for 21 days, you lose the ability to feed your family for 21 days, and we opened up a food crisis in the world. And so for me, part of what we've got to reimagine also is how do we create more equality? How do we create more inclusion? How do we start to create new opportunities uh, in this world? And there's some exciting parts, right? Both you and I uh, are what we would call gig economy workers. We do work for different companies. Today, I'll be with a bank, tomorrow with a mining company, on another day with somebody in, in New York doing some work for somebody in the tech space. And that's typically uh, what we would call flexible working in a gig economy space. It means that there's so many opportunities to start to integrate more of this. And human beings are yearning for flexibility in the workplace. Uh, I, was, I, was, I came across a beautiful company that does some interesting work with their call center operations. They were inundated and they couldn't keep up because they had a massive fixed cost. And so what they did was they asked for stay-at-home parents. Moms or dads who took the decision to stay at home. And they said, you can sign on to our platform. And how it would work is when somebody calls the call center and you signed in, you can answer the call. So as you call into the call center, it rings across thousands of phones across the world or across the country. And if you answer, you obviously get monetized for that answering call. And they found that the stay-at-home parents are so much more engaged because when they do sign in, they're available and they want to connect. But it's also given them something to do. So that's what we need. We need thinkers who think alternative in the world we live in. Yeah, I love that uh, example because it really does show flexibility in the workplace and a different kind of mindset. And being okay with buying 10 minutes or 15 or 20 minutes of somebody's time as and when they're available, as opposed to buying their whole day or their whole month. And I think, uh, you know, so much of what you've spoken about highlights uh, two real things for me. And the one is you mentioned uh, human resources, the return on assets, capital and equity. And I think that the HR playbook is going to be significantly rewritten through this COVID crisis. And it's needed rewriting for many, many years. It was not written to be supportive of our families. It was written for profit. It was not written to support the uh, you know, the employees and their mental wellness and their relationships in their lives. And I think that that is going to come under some serious scrutiny at this time. And then you talked about lifelong learning. And I believe that we're all going to have to take responsibility finally for our own learning journey. We have for too long given it away to schools. We've given it away to um, to HR, to the company. The company will tell me what I need to study next. It's not been a voluntary thing of, I want to go in this direction. This is what I would like to do. This is how I would like to do it. I wonder if the company will support me on that. It's It's been very much, what will the company allow? And the world is changing so dramatically and there's such a free access to information and to courses 
that you can literally pick anything you like and a company, a boss would really actually like to know that you are in charge of your own learning journey, that you have this internal locus of control, the yep. self-motivating um, you know, aspect to you that is you are pushing yourself forward. You're not waiting for someone to pull you along. And any company that starts um, outsourcing, which many companies will moving forward, will outsource more than perhaps hold on to employees full time, are going to want people who are self-driven, who are happy to responsibility. I call it self-leadership. And for me, the big door that COVID is opening is the um, shift to self-leadership away from dependence on institutions. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, 100%. I think it's the ability to be able to say, uh, you know, where are my areas within my sphere of control and influence to be able to create a learning community? Uh, how do we start to learn differently? And let me, let me get some practical views here, right, from my, from my side. I have taken a decision that every night, my wife and I took the decision that at the dinner table, we, we give two minutes to each one of us in terms of what have you learned today. And once it becomes a discipline, it's been great. And it, we don't frame it in that way, what have you learned? It's just been, you know, what's interesting. And uh, actually, Nikki, uh, in the beginning of lockdown, I, I, I listened to you di- doing a, a podcast and I took something out of there. What, what is your sweet and sour? I don't know if you recall doing that. And so I listened to that and that's been integrated. And my kids love it, right? Because they're able to see both parts of the world. And so we do, what's your sweet, what's your sour, and what do we learn from that, right? And so the ability to be able to take agency and to be able to integrate it is brilliant. I often say to people that we often try and defer when we can have impact. So we we often wait for hurdles, right? So when COVID ends, when I get to a certain position, when I get to a certain paycheck, when I get to a certain title, and we never really appreciate the agency that we have. And we all have agency. We have agency to empower ourselves in terms of what are we going to learn and what are we going to focus on. We have agency to take. Uh, opportunities that present themselves to us. And uh, the reality is the opportunity of a lifetime must be taken in the lifetime of the opportunity, as my, my dear friend Nick Bernadiel often says. And it's important because so much of what comes at us, we don't take advantage of because we're waiting for some point in our life when we're able to leverage it. And for me, what's exciting about COVID is that this has been a massive reset. I've learned uh, in the last 12 months that no president, no prime minister, no CEO, no executive, no business school professor has the answers. We're all navigating some of this complexity, and we need to have that adaptive leadership that comes together. The second thing that I've learned in the last 12 months is that digital is fantastic, but actually it needs to be better regulated in our workspaces, in our homes, because we've, we've come to this view that the, uh, the screen has all of the answers. And we must appreciate that the screen has some answers, and Google does have some views, but it's all historical. In order to build the information that Google needs in the future, we need people who go out there and chart new new territories. And so we've got to self-regulate. We've got to create spaces where people leave the comforts of their walls and actually go out and engage more. That brings me to the third point. I think we must be a lot more empathetic. We've got to appreciate that we all have limited lived experiences. And so you've got to step into the shoes of other people and understand their context better. And the magic of living in the world we're in is that so many people come with so much of different sprinkles that they want to put into that recipe that if you take the time to go and appreciate other cultures and other people and other sectors and other parts of our countries or the world, uh, that becomes the the global university, the university of 
uh, understanding different cultures and people through empathy. The, the, the fourth element for me, which is something I try and do relentlessly, is I found that with COVID, so many people have been running a race for the last 12 months and they've been relentlessly running on this treadmill that they haven't taken the chance to actually get off the treadmill and to breathe and to uh, look at the world beyond this performance zone, as we all always call it. And the reality is that you're less valuable to your company or to your family or to your organization if you're performing at 50%. You have to recharge uh, your abilities and give your time, yourself time to feed your own soul. And one of the best ways to feed your soul is through learning and through lifelong learning. And it's something that I've really become particular about. So I, I, my wife was, was laughing because last night we, you know, I finished class at 10 p.m. and we chatted until 1 a.m. Does. We all finished class at 10 p.m. <laughs> because I'm studying in the U.S., the time difference, uh, you know, my classes are from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. And so I finished class and I was just talking to her about what I learned. And she laughed and she said, Abdullah, you know, you're, you're like so excited by the, uh, by the learning and I've appreciated chatting to you. And she says it's amazing because even at your age, somebody who teaches at business schools, you've, you've embraced this. And for me, there's so much to learn. There's so much to take in. And for me, at the heart of this is that ability to be curious about the world. Yeah, I totally subscribe to that. In fact, interestingly, in uh, my book, Future Proof Your Child, 2020s and Beyond, which was published in 2019, co-authored with Dr. Graham Codrington, one of your colleagues, uh, we talk about the fact that uh, family is the foundation of everything. And on top of that is curiosity, not going to school, curiosity. And that children are just born naturally curious. We just need to keep that curiosity and love of learning alive. If we can do that, then school will augment it. But if that isn't in place before you go to school, nothing is going to make you love learning. And it is so wonderful to speak to somebody who's so um, fascinated by the learning process and so invested in learning more. And I'm I'm of the same mind as well. Life is one long adventure. It's, 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 It's the school of life. It's not only learning that happens between the pages of books or on a screen. We actually acquire so much intelligence and so much knowledge just by interacting with the world and each other. And as you've said, you know, we have to have, it's not an either or world, it's an and both world. We have to have the digital because that is the portal to just about everything, but we have to augment it um, with regular interaction with real human beings, really reminding us that, that we are human. Before we end off, Abdullah, there's something I'd like to ask you, and um, you might have already answered it, but maybe you can paraphrase. You talk about the need for intellectual humility, intellectual humility. Can you just expand on that a little bit and how that refers to or relates to leadership of a business as well as self-leadership? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating concept. And it's actually something that I picked up from Professor Don Sal, who wrote in the MIT piece in 2007, that we have to go through what he calls the strategy loop. And it's something I do a lot of work in my strategy work with, where he argues that organizations and even individuals have to go through four distinct but interrelated areas. He says, firstly, you must start by making sense, making sense as to what's going on beyond your industry, beyond your lived experience, beyond your company, beyond the colors of your company, Uh, understand politics and economics and the technological shifts and the social world and the demographic type of society that we live in. And so he says that people don't like making sense because it requires you to 
be a lot more open to not knowing all of the answers. And so he says, go out and make sense as a team. He says, making sense is great because it allows you to be a lot more better equipped making choices. And strategy, in effect, is that. It's about the ability to look at this environment and then to say, what type of choices are we going to make? And one of the difficulties in strategy is that people are not willing to make trade-offs. They're not willing to take some tough decisions as to say, what are we going to stop doing? And I want you to think about this in your personal life as well as somebody listening in today. What are you going to stop doing? Uh, because we try and be everything to everybody, and sometimes we've got to make some of these trade-offs uh, that are necessary. He says you make sense, you make choices, and then you've got to have the oxygen of execution. You've got to make things happen because it's irrelevant if you can build the most brilliant strategies, irrelevant if you can't implement it. And then finally, in the part that I love is he says you've got to make sure that you have the ability to uh, make revisions. And that's where he talks about intellectual humility. He says. You must have the intellectual humility to appreciate that you're not going to get everything right. You've got to sense the anomalies early on, and you've got to have the ability to be more adaptable. So I want you as, as listeners today to think about what happened in March 2020. Uh, you got knocked by this lockdown in any country you're in. And for, for all of us, it was surreal, right? You probably ended up playing board games or baking banana bread, and it was weird. And you thought to yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to work? How is the world going to come back to normality? And human beings are incredibly adaptable. So if I have to come back to you today in March 2021 as we're having this discussion, and I say to you, would you willing to go back to the office five days a week or six days a week? And you'll say, no, Abdullah, I have a rhythm at home. I'm much more productive. I want to go to the office, but not all the time. What has happened? You've just adopted. You've adopted a new way of doing things. And one of the lighthearted ways I bring this across is I want to take you back to 2006. All of you listening in either had a BlackBerry phone, or a Nokia 9500. And at that time, you were used to a QWERTY keyboard with a physical keypad and BBM as your messenger. And somebody probably came to you at that time and said, would you be willing to shift to a touchscreen phone? And you probably said, no, it's really hard to use touchscreen phones, and I need a keyboard. And if I have to flip that conversation to you today, what has happened? You've adopted. Society has mass adopted. And so you'll say to me, Abdullah, there's no way I can use a BlackBerry phone because it's hard, it's clunky, it's difficult, it's messy. What has happened? You've adopted. And that's the same here. So what I'm going to say is have the intellectual humility to be able to try new things, even though it's uncomfortable, get through that painful process of change. And I promise you, you'll emerge with something different on the other side. And for me, that's this intellectual humility that he talks about. Uh, you've just hit a really hot spot for me, a, 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 a sore spot, but actually a, a moment of celebration. No, 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 I do not still have a BlackBerry, <laughs> but my computer crashed 10 days ago. My normal Windows computer crashed, and I've been resisting moving into the Mac universe for many, many years because I, I do have an iPhone. Um, and by absolute necessity, because I had to present a couple of hours later, the only machine available to me was a Mac. Wow. And it's <laughs> how much, if you have to, if you get beyond your resistance, and believe you me, I was stressed. Eh? I was very stressed. <laughs> managed to present that night and the night after that and the morning after that and the afternoon after that and get work done in between and I I was just it was a reminder for me of how brilliant the human brain is and as you said we are complex adaptive systems and we are 
able to adapt and we are able to adopt if we can move beyond our own resistance. And sometimes that means being pushed into corner. And COVID has actually provided that environment where it has pushed us into that corner where we have to look at stuff we were resisting before. So like you, I actually celebrate in a way um, the opportunity that COVID has opened up for us to, to revisit how life should be or how we would like it to be for us and how we're going to do life moving forward. And that actually reminds me that you have a book that you have alluded to twice um, and it's called Reset, Rewire and Reimagine Everything. And that book came out just uh, middle of last year, if I'm correct. Correct, 100%. Yeah. And where can our listeners get hold of it and uh, and, and just broad brushstrokes, um, it more or less covers what we've covered and a whole lot more. Yeah, 100%. So uh, that book was another gift of the prices. Uh, I think mean, having 10 out of my 12 international trips cancelled in March, I then decided, let me do a bit of writing. And so that gave me the opportunity to put some pen to paper. Uh, the book is available on Amazon if you like an e-version. If you like the physical copy like me and love reading a physical book, it's available at all bookstores. Uh, and even on my website, if you'd like a personal signed copy, happy to get it couriered across to you. And yeah, we cover you know the macro shifts in the world. I look at the changing nature of politics, economics, what I call this cognitive rewiring of human behavior and how social uh, beings are, are starting to shift. We look at technology, we look at the environment, and then I take all of these macro factors and I fuse it into 21 sectors. So we look at the future of banking and retail. Uh, the future of mining, the future of uh, commodities, the future of consumer goods, and many other sectors. And then finally, we end with exactly what we've been talking about. How do you build a more complex, adaptive, or how do you build a more adaptive mindset to be able to navigate all of this disruption? Thank you so much. So that is available in all good bookstores, online and in the real world, as well as at Abdullah's, on, on Abdullah's website, The Strategist. Dot Cosa. And if you do order it that way, you will get a personalized signed copy. Abdullah, it has been an enlightening conversation. Thank you for spending the last 40 minutes or so with me just after you rushed in from collecting all three children from school. So it's been a very human conversation. For me, what I'm taking away is that you've reminded us that it's still so vital to keep the human in the middle, that it's not an either or world, it's a both and world, and that you don't have to know all the answers, but you do need to be prepared to uh, relook at some of those assumptions and do some experimental thinking and acting in the process of actually discovering or rediscovering how to be in this new look world. So thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Nikki, thank you so much for the invitation. It's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, love connecting with your listeners and always love chatting to you. That was a very quick 40 minutes, but I enjoyed every moment of it. Thank you. So we'll do it again sometime in the future where we'll talk about focusing on how to prepare our children for the fast changing world specifically, because I think that is such a big conversation and a very necessary one. So Abdullah, thanks once again to our listeners. Please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. And please share this podcast with your friends and your colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.